Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Don, I think you did good with finding the songs. Yeah, thank you for those. Again, I want to personally thank all those who in any way had to had a part in helping out with our reach out with the Loop Festival. And again, as Mike said, pray for those who uh, we talked with, who took a Bible or a DVD and that the word would... Uh, Go into their hearts and bear fruit. We're going to be in working out of Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, so if you would turn there. This past week or so, I guess past couple of weeks, we say we witnessed the fall of a country for some uh, 20 years, maybe even more than that. Afghanistan has, in fact, been propped up by the uh, United States. But in the end, its government, its military, and its own people were unable to withstand the forces of the Taliban. And it just crumbled. And we think about history, you know, I'm a history guy. History has witnessed the crumbling of many mighty kingdoms and countries from the very beginning, actually. I was reminded of the uh, dream which Nebuchadnezzar had with the, with the image, you recall that, in Daniel, the head of gold and the uh, arms of silver and so forth, and Daniel interpreted that dream for him, and it was four kingdoms. <clears throat> he was the head, and eventually Babylon fell. And the second kingdom was uh, uh, Medo-Persia, and eventually it fell. And then Greece under Alexander, and it fell. And then there was Rome. And you think about Rome, uh, many thought in the day Rome will never fall. Powerful, large, great economy. But eventually Rome fell apart, was conquered, and uh, I was also thinking about the World War II era, how uh, there were several countries that actually came to power and uh, then came out of power within about 15 years. Starting in the late 1920s and early 30s, Germany, Japan, Italy, all came to power but they all were out of power by 1945. They were gone. So that's been the history of, of the world, the rise and the fall of kingdoms. And even today, many people question now as we see our own country internally being torn, whether the United States is going to last as the United States. But we want to talk today about a kingdom which will never fall. In fact, it cannot even be shaken. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And we might say, and I think we can say, that it is more real, even though it is a spiritual kingdom, it is more real, it is more certain than any earthly kingdom. Because all earthly kingdoms will, at some point, just disappear. 
It's made of a substance which will carry into eternity, however God does that through what is eternal, and we're going to look at that a little bit in our lesson, will outlive any political, governmental entity we witness on earth. And we're going to look at that in Hebrews chapter 12. Now just a little note on Hebrews as we move into this. The author here, uh, and Hebrews is a great book to read. It's all, all the Bible is. He's demonstrating the superiority of, of Christ over Moses, of the new covenant over the old, of the promises given by Christ over the promises that were given in the, uh, in the law of Moses. Uh, and uh, this is what he's doing here in chapter 12. He's showing the greatness of this new kingdom over what was available under the law of Moses calling us to task to really appreciate what God is doing through Christ with this kingdom he's offering us. So let's go to Hebrews 12 and we're going to start with verse 18. He's just been persuading uh, the Christians here who have a, basically have a Hebrew background for them not to go back on the law of Moses because uh, they were being persecuted and they were thinking, well, if we go back under Moses, then the persecution will stop because they were persecuting Christians and not Jews. And the Hebrew writer saying, no, that doesn't work. Because all the blessings and all the glory and all the goodness and the kingdom is found in Christ Jesus. It's not found in Moses nor under the old covenant. Hebrews 12, 18. So he says, for you, and he's talking to these Christians, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. And this is a reference, of course, to when God, you know, I, I, believe, that was the per I believe that was the person of God came down on Sinai in some way, how he can reveal himself, and to give the law to the children of Israel when they come out of Egypt. And we see you know, it was a truly frightful sight, and you can read, go back to Exodus and even in Deuteronomy and read that for yourself. God's on the top of the mountain, there's fire, there's wind, there's darkness, there's uh, uh, the trumpet blast, which must have been terribly loud, and then the voice of God, which evidently was also terribly loud, it's so much so that the people said, we don't want to hear his voice anymore, Moses, you go up and talk to him, which Moses did. And so it must have been a terribly frightful sight, you know, the presence of God himself coming down. Of course, God is holy and this world was sinful and evil. So God is, if you will, protecting himself with the cloud and darkness from all the wickedness and evil around as he speaks this new covenant to the children of Israel. And we see even here that uh, Moses was afraid himself. You know, Moses had been talking with God uh, in, in various ways before this. But now he sees this presence of God come down, and it, Mo Moses is like, I don't want anything to do with this, but 
he did, eventually had uh, several long talks with God about Israel and about the law and so forth. But the author is saying in 18, you've not come to a mountain like this. He's saying it's different, you see. What you have in Christ in the new covenant is different. It's much better. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to tell us here toward, through the end of this chapter how much better it is. And if you think about the revelation of God, this was God's revelation of himself to Israel in this terrible, frightful uh, experience with the loudness and the thunderings and lightnings and all, contrasted with God revealing himself through Jesus Christ under the new, for the new covenant, and he actually came in the flesh. One of us to talk face to face. You know, apparently he was not a scary individual, even though he did speak the truth and he challenged us to do what's right and exhorted us. And he rebuked some folks for their sin, but people came to him. Children came to him. People in need came to him. People with questions came to him. He was open. He was available. He was God in the flesh, Emmanuel. And so this is how much better, you know, the, the beginnings of the new covenant is for us than what Israel had. We really get to, to see God and interact with God himself. You know, just thinking about that, this is the way all of us should be as we interact in the world. We should be available. We should be welcoming. We should have such a, an aura or atmosphere about us or personality that people will, will want to talk with us. They will seek us out. That They can see that we are kind and friendly even though we, we stand up for, for purpose. We stand up for truth. We stand up for right. You know, we're, we're not beating people over the head with that, but we are available. I think that's an important thing for us to remember as Christians. Anyway, let's go to verse 22. It's the, the author's going to say here, now this is, these are some of the things that you have. They, it's not like on the mountain, not like Israel had. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. All these things the author is saying are so much better that we have under the new covenant in Christ than what Israel had. Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai. In the Old Testament, it was the stronghold of David in Jerusalem. The very, you know, Jerusalem was on a hill. 
and the temple, it was a temple mount, but I don't know if they really know exactly where that was, but Zion was like the very stronghold of David where he's saying, nobody can come in here and capture me. Uh, I hate to use this illustration, but it might be one that uh, we can connect with. You remember in World War II, Hitler had his bunker, remember that? Built down in, underneath Berlin, and he was going to live there forever, so to speak, and nobody was ever going to capture him. Of course, he took, took his own life. But that was his Zion. Nobody can come here and get me. Well, that's what Zion is, was for David. Now, we have Mount Zion. It's the same idea. Now, we've got to start thinking spiritual, okay? This is not on the earth anywhere. We might think new heavens and a new earth, but this is a heavenly thing. This is a spiritual thing, which is eternal. And God is just using this as an illustration how much better we have this to look forward to, this stronghold of God that cannot be shaken by, by the devil or by any power on earth. 1 Peter 2.6 Actually, in 1 Peter, I'm going to start in uh, chapter 2, verse 4. And coming to him, meaning Jesus, as to a living stone. All right, see, there's already this spiritual idea. A living stone, not a dead stone, not a piece of granite or marble. He's a living stone, which has been rejected by men, which he was by the Jews and the Gentiles but as a choice and precious in the sight of God, and you also as living stones, that's us in the kingdom, we're living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay where? In Zion, the spiritual heavenly Zion, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. The stone is Christ Jesus, upon which, you know, Peter confessed, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then Jesus said, you know, this rock, you know, he said, Peter, you're a rock, but on this Peter, you're a stone, but upon this rock, two different words in the Greek. The rock upon which the church was built, Jesus Christ, and that's what Peter here is acknowledging. He is the cornerstone, the living stone that was rejected by men, and he's built it, the kingdom is built on him as the chief cornerstone. Go back to Psalm 46. Kind of a glimpse here. You know, you see, see glimpses of these things in the Psalms and in the prophets. Psalm 46 and uh, verse 4. And how this connects even if we remember Revelation toward the end, the last three chapters, in particular chapter 22. There is a river, we sang about the river, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. This is a reference to Zion and to that holy city. This isn't 
Jerusalem on the earth. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. He will help her when morning dawns. The nations make an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Salah. So here's what we have that is so much better. Not an earthly Jerusalem, which we know was conquered and was completely destroyed. But we have this Mount Zion and city of the living God is next. The heavenly Jerusalem. That's our home. The heavenly Jerusalem. It's a spiritual domain. We look forward to it. We sang about it. Myriads of angels, New King James says, an innumerable company. The heavenly host, the armies of God, those that minister for us, as the author of Hebrews says back actually in chapter 1, they minister for us and to us in our, our fight against evil. Someday, those angels will be given a command to gather, we read in scripture from the four winds, all people, and they'll separate. They'll separate the good from the evil. Those who are destined for life eternal and those who are destined for destruction and the wrath of God. We read, uh, we've had a couple of lessons about angels. They're not these little cherub-looking, baby-like, kind and cute little things. They are powerful, awesome soldiers, messengers of God. We couldn't withstand one of them, not one. But there are myriads, an innumerable company of angels to do the will of God. This should give us comfort that they do minister for us. And they are part of this, if you will, family of God. They're not Christians. They're not human. But they are on God's side and they're on our side. So we have them with us. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. For me, I'm thinking this, this includes all the faithful, all the, they're called saints from the beginning. You know, going back to Enoch and Noah and Moses and all, all who are faithful to God. They're part of this assembly. And the church of the firstborn, I believe that's a reference to Jesus, he's the firstborn from the dead. It's his church. It's his assembly. He purchased it with his blood. It's the body of Christ. And here's, here's the thing. Give us hope, you know, in this world that we see, you know, such a mess, being shaken back and forth. You are a part of this assembly right now if you're in Christ. You're in it right now. 
When you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into him. And we're gonna, we can read in uh, Colossians 1.13, that's not on your little list there, that the king, that's the kingdom of the son of his love. We're translated from the world into his kingdom, into Christ. And that's where we stand. It's a spiritual kingdom. Never be shaken. says, enrolled in heaven, flip back, to, uh, flip back to Philippians, chapter 4 and verse uh, 3. We see in various places in the Bible about a book of life, and this is just one of the references. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. That is a book of eternal life. And uh, if you're in Christ, your book, your name is in that book. I don't know if there's a literal book in heaven or that's just in the mind of God that he knows who's his, whose are his as we read in Timothy. But either way, there is a book of life. And if you're in Christ, if you're in the kingdom, your name is in the book of life. And this, this is how God knows who who's it, are his. We've also come to the God, the judge of all. All people from the very beginning. Adam and Eve to the last, last man standing, if you will. We've come to Almighty God. He's obviously part of this. He's over it all. And he will judge every man and woman who ever lived. Everyone. Come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Of course, we know that Christ makes us perfect through his righteousness. We receive that when we're baptized into him. Not a single individual who lived has ever been without sin, only Christ. So he makes us, that's the idea here, made perfect. Because we're in Christ, we receive his righteousness. This is how we can go on into eternity and be pleasing to God. And then we've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And much of Hebrews is about this new covenant that Jesus came to mediate by his blood. Him being the one, uh, if, if we think back when, when the covenant was initiated at Sinai, there were sacrifices made and the, the assembly there was sprinkled with blood to uh, enact that covenant and to secure it, to put it into effect. Well, Christ has come for a new covenant. And what he did was he fulfilled the old covenant because he kept the law, which was a, the main part of that old covenant. He kept it perfectly. And because he did, then it became null and void and he took it out of the way. And he established a new covenant. You know, one of the main things, if you recall, the Hebrew writer says, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, right? That was one of the big thing, all these sacrifices over and over again. But now in Christ, what? The perfect Lamb of God, His blood 
is over and over again, the writer says, once and for all, he made that sacrifice. He only needed to do it once as the perfect blood that does remove sin. That's how the new covenant was established, because of his blood. And so now we, we have that. We become a part of that. We, we enter into that covenant with Christ again when we're baptized into him. We die with him, Romans chapter 6. And we're raised from that watery grave, cleansed by the blood of Christ. So all these things show superiority of the new over the old, but what we have in Christ. The sprinkled blood. Just one thought about that and we'll move on. Remember the blood of Abel. Cain killed his brother. We'll not get into that back, way back in Genesis. And God had the conversation with Cain, and he said, what did you do? The boy, I think he says, the voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground, cries out from the ground. That was blood that was seeking justice and vengeance. Rightly so, because they've been killed for no reason. But the blood of Christ, you see, speaks differently. The blood of Christ is not about vengeance, but about forgiveness, about the remission of sin. When, even when the Son of God dies and his blood is given in his death, it's not blood of vengeance. Even though he did not deserve to die, God uses it as blood to bring remission and forgiveness of sin for anyone who will accept it. So much better, so much better than what was back under the old. Let's move on. Verse 25. So after all of this, saying you know, that you got so much better, see to it you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. You know, the picture is God is down on earth on Sinai talking and warning the people, you know, to keep my law and so forth. Jesus speaks to us from heaven today. He's at the right hand of God, as we know. But he's speaking through his word, and he's calling us. He's calling us into this new kingdom. He's calling us to repentance, to do his will, and to accept the gifts that he has through the grace of God. It's eternal life. He talks about escaping here. I think he's re referring to the escaping the wrath of God at the judgment, which we already saw there about God who's judge of all. But many of those did not escape because they kept rejecting God, rejecting the word, complaining in the wilderness, and even when they got into the promised land, they went to worshiping idols, and God kept trying to call them back through the prophets. So through that law, even with that law, so many of them did not make it, and they will not escape the wrath of God. And so the warning is still for us as well. You know, we're, we've got one calling to us from heaven now. Be ready. Listen to my word. Do my will. What I 
what I have to offer you is great and marvelous, this new city in which to live. Verse 26, and his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression yet once more denotes the removal of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. This is an interesting two verses. You know, this is obviously a reference to the end, the end of time, when everything will be shaken. Peter talks about everything will be burned up, the earth will be laid bare, created things removed. God speaks in Revelation about making all things new. I don't know, you know, looking at this, those things which cannot be shaken may remain. That sounds like to me there are some things out here right now that are eternal. I don't know the answer to that, but evidently they cannot be shaken. We know the spiritual things cannot be shaken. In fact, as we think about this kingdom, not only will it not be destroyed, will it never fall, but as we read in that next verse, it cannot even be shaken. Isn't that marvelous? It can be shaken, let alone it will not fall. That's how strong the foundation in Christ Jesus it is. No power, earthly or spiritual, can even shake this kingdom of God. It's a marvelous thing. Verse 28, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, you see, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This permanent, eternal stronghold of God, this city of God, this Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. We have this now. If you're a Christian, you're in it. And let, let's, let's see our lives that way. Yes, the, things are crumbling around us, things, things are happening. We, we have in the illnesses and troubles of the body and uh, other kind of situations that we don't like to, to deal with, uh, with people and so forth. But let's remember, we are in this unshakable kingdom which will go on into eternity. It will never fall. The last verse there is a little scary. Rightly so. Our God is a consuming fire. For all those who oppose him, for all those who are evil, for all those who reject the gospel, he is a consuming fire. And they will be consumed. There is eternal destruction, however you see that. But for us, who are in the kingdom, we will... Back to verse 25, escape that. And we will end up as, if you will, in the loving arms of Christ Jesus for all eternity. The unshakable kingdom. Are you in this kingdom? God bless you. As he says there, what do we do? 
We show gratitude. We thank God for his love and his grace and his mercy that we have this now through Christ Jesus and from his heart. And we should offer an acceptable service to him with reverence and awe. Not just when we come together in the building, although that's part of it, but as we live day to day in, in, our, in our lives and as parents and as workers and uh, good neighbors. We render an acceptable service to Christ, to God, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Are you not in this kingdom? Believe me, you're in danger. You're in danger of God's judgment and the consuming fire of God. And I encourage you to do something about it. In some way, you can contact me, one of our deacons, or Mike. We'll be glad to help out either, even one of the other brothers and sisters whom you're more comfortable talking with. And they'll be glad to help you out to find out more about this kingdom and make that choice for Christ Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. For more from Jeff Kent and the Shadyside Church of Christ, please go to our website at cfcshadyside.com. There you can access our entire library of Sunday church lessons and Jeff's weekly blog. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Shadyside Church of Christ. Remember, all are welcome. Thanks again. Have a blessed week.